If you please turn with me in your Bibles, maybe they're already open yet, to uh, Exodus 20, verse 16, where we have the ninth commandment. Exodus 20, 16, shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This ninth commandment, this commandment to not bear false witness against your neighbor, falls within what we call the second table of the law, which means that it falls within that section of commandments that have to do with the duty toward your neighbor, the duty to love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, and this is clear enough from the wording of the command itself, which says, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. And so this is another one of God's commandments meant to protect the neighbor. By way of review, the sixth commandment, do not murder, protects your neighbor's life. The seventh commandment, do not commit adultery, is designed to protect your neighbor's marriage. The eighth commandment, do not steal, protects your neighbor's property. And as we see this pattern of the various ways in which God's commandments guard the well-being of your neighbor, it's natural in coming to the ninth commandment to ask, well, what particular aspect of my neighbor or his life does this commandment protect? What aspect of loving the neighbor guides the ninth commandment? In an answer, we would say this commandment guards your neighbor's reputation or your neighbor's name. It says indirectly that you are to use your tongue in loving ways that build up rather than harm your neighbor. You must never tell a lie that would harm your neighbor, but rather must speak the truth in love. Often this command is summarized rather generally as do not lie. And then the next step is to define what is a lie. And a common basic definition might be something like this, any misrepresentation of the truth. And there are a number of similar definitions offered by commentators such as a lie is a willful misrepresentation of the truth. Ezekiel Hopkins, in his exposition of the Ten Commandments, says that a lie is, quote, a voluntary speaking of an untruth with an intent to deceive, end quote. hope you can recognize that these definitions are much too simplistic, and I think the best way to do that is to, is to give some illustrations. Suppose I am in court as a prosecuting attorney, and I believe that the defendant is guilty of a crime, and yet I have not done my due diligence to investigate what truly took place, and so my belief is based on shabby evidence. What if the truth is that the defendant didn't commit the crime? Well, for me to accuse him of the crime is lying. But notice, I'm not deliberately, I'm not voluntarily, I'm not willfully misrepresenting the truth. I'm not trying to deceive. I truly believe he is guilty, and yet it's not true which brings out that you don't always have to have an intent to deceive, to lie. For me as a prosecuting attorney, to say an innocent person has committed a crime is a lie. It is wrong. Another illustration that challenges the traditional definitions, suppose my desire is to be a missionary in Morocco, and Morocco will not let me in as a Christian missionary, but they will let me in as a school teacher. As I do the immigration paperwork to get into Morocco, the question is asked, what do I intend to do in the country? And so what do I say? What do I write down? If I say I'm going there to evangelize, I will not be granted a visa, but they will grant me a visa to teach at a university. And so I put down on the visa that I'm going there to teach, 
and I say nothing about evangelizing. This is, in essence, what all missionaries into restricted countries are doing. They're going there with the intent to evangelize, but under the pretense of doing some kind of regular work. In this particular example, I'm not telling the whole truth and nothing but the truth to the Moroccans. At the same time, I'm not being asked if teaching is my sole purpose in going to that country. And so this is an example of an interaction that I would argue is not sinful lying. And I base this conviction in great part on 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 5. You can look up those verses later. 1 Samuel 16, 1 through 5, but God there commands Samuel to do two things, to anoint a new king and to offer a sacrifice. Samuel realizes the great danger that he faces from Saul if, he, if his intentions to anoint a new king are found out. And so what does God say to do? He tells Samuel to tell Saul about his coming to offer a sacrifice, but nothing about the anointing. So we have God giving us the principle that it's okay to tell that part of the truth that will do no harm and conceal that part of the truth that would result in harm if told. The point is that what is a sinful lie cannot be rightly defined as any and every deliberate misrepresentation of the truth. Actually, the the scope and intent of the Ninth Commandment is less about lying and more to do with how our words either bless or harm the neighbor. Remember that all of the second table of the law is ultimately about loving your neighbor as yourself, and ultimately then about using your tongue in loving ways. By giving the command, do not bear false witness, God is taking us into the courtroom. And there can happen that the judge bears false witness by handing down an unjust sentence. Well, what might account for that? Maybe he's remiss in acquainting himself thoroughly with the case. Maybe he has a fear of man. Maybe he's wanting to do someone a favor. favor. Maybe he is, is earning a bribe. There in the courtroom, it can be the prosecutor who bears false witness. He brings a case against someone that he knows is innocent. Or he simply hasn't done a thorough investigation and is therefore prosecuting an innocent person Either way, he is intent on driving the case through for the sake of his own reputation and career. the time of the early church, the Jews hoped that the orator Tertullus would be able to get Paul prosecuted for things he didn't commit. It can be the defendant who bears false witness by claiming innocence when guilty or by claiming to be guilty when innocent, either outrightly or by refusing to answer questions. Cain, when summoned by God, denied knowing where Abel had been killed. Notice, sometimes bearing false witness takes the form of silence on a matter. Silence always says something. It can be lawyers who bear false witness by twisting words and leaving out relevant facts in order to favor their case. The same happens with witnesses. In some cases, they deliberately tell lies, but more often, they hide the truth by using ambiguous words and explain only that part of the story that supports the end result that they want. So in some, sometimes telling the truth involves telling more, and sometimes it involves telling less than we might think. And if we keep in mind these various ways of bearing false witness, we can begin to understand what God is against 
as well as what he wants in the ninth commandment. And so I'm taking as the theme commanded to not bear false witness. We want to consider further what it means to bear false witness, further what it means to to not bear false witness according to God's standard, and then why you and I have a tendency to bear false witness, and thirdly, what is to be our response. So I've laid out already the groundwork for understanding the main principle of this command, which is that you are to use your tongues to build up rather than to destroy your neighbor. But before we delve further into what this involves, let us consider what is not condemned by this commandment. There's really a lot of confusion that surrounds this commandment and what it means to lie, what it means to bear false witness. For example, there are those who say that theater or movie acting is sin because the actors are misrepresenting the truth of who they really are. But to act in a play is not to bear false witness against your neighbor. There's nothing unloving about being an actor in a movie or a play. There are those who say that figures of speech are lies. They point to Jesus saying, I am a door, or I am a, I am a vine. Uh, they point to such words as John 21, 25, where it says that if all of the things that Jesus had done had been, had been written down, the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. There are the sarcastic taunts of Elijah who said to the prophets of Baal, cry aloud for he is a God. On the surface, these statements do not conform to reality. Taken literally, they are not true, but they are not sinful lies. There's no deception intended by them. It's obvious that these are statements that are not meant to be taken literally, but are creative ways of conveying the truth that impresses the mind. The Bible, Jesus himself uses figures of speech to instruct us in the truth which means that we also can use figures of speech as well. There are also those who say that we must always tell the truth, even if it will promote evil. I think of Rahab there in Jericho, who protected Israel's spies by lying to the authorities, telling them that she didn't know where they were, and anyway, they left town at dark. She's listed in Hebrews 11 as a woman of faith. She's blessed with a place in God's covenant, There are those who want to say she was blessed despite her sinful lying. I would argue that loving her neighbor, which is the summary of God's law, required her to say what was necessary to those ungodly men to preserve the lives of godly men who had every reason to believe, she had every reason to believe, would have been killed if she had told the truth. Which raises the question of spies. Is it right for a country to have spies? Can a Christian be a spy? To be a spy assumes you lie about your identity as well as the particular purpose that you are even in a country. In response, Moses and Joshua, they sent out spies to the land of Canaan. There's nothing in scripture to indicate that this was displeasing to God. Joshua himself and Caleb were both spies. They were commended for their faith. Today, spies are still a useful tool in providing information to our government that can be used to protect our citizens. Spies certainly misrepresent the truth, but is this sin? The lying of spies protects citizens from evil. Their lies are not against the neighbor, but to promote righteousness. Are there some spies that promote unrighteousness? Well, certainly. Lies and deception should be condemned if they are used as any part of a scheme to promote evil. 
also think of the Hebrew midwives in Egypt who were ordered by Pharaoh to kill the newborn Hebrew boys. But the, these midwives disobeyed and they let the boys live. And when confronted with this, they answered, the Hebrew women are vigorous and they give birth before the midwife comes to them. That was a statement meant to deceive Pharaoh. These midwives were not rebuked by God, but blessed. Despite such examples, there are those who think that we are always obligated to tell people the whole truth and nothing but the truth, even evil people. So consider the, the following scenario, that World War II is, is raging and you are a European harboring Jews in order to protect them from the Nazis. German officers come to your door and ask if you are hiding Jews. What can you say? What should you say? My professor in seminary said that you have to tell those Jews the truth. You have to announce, yes, I am. Well, the person who said this also indicated that you could say it in such a way as to come across sarcastically. But telling the truth is not simply saying the right words. It also includes the impression that you give by your words. And when you say, yes, I have Jews, sure, come on in and take them away, some kind of a sarcastic, playful way, uh, that's still lying. I've heard others say that you can avoid lying by not really answering their questions. So you might say, well, come on in and check for yourself. But again, there's an impression left by your words. And the unspoken message is that you're not hiding Jews, which is lying, technically. But I side with those who would say that when you have evil murderers intent on carrying out sin, you're actually obligated to say whatever you can to deceive them and in this way to thwart their sin and to save innocent lives. Nevertheless, remember that there is a time when it is not right to lie in order to save your life. If someone asks if you are a Christian, then you must tell the truth regardless of what may happen to you. Jesus has specifically said that you must never deny him. To testify to your love for Christ even the point of death is a witness that Christ requires, in part, out of a love for the neighbor. For to die for Christ is a powerful testimony to a sinner of how precious Jesus is. It's a testimony that the Lord may use in drawing sinners to himself. And the principle is that, in, is that in no case are we to use our tongues in a way that destroys the neighbor, but always concern has concern for the spiritual and physical good of the neighbor. That is what is to govern what we do and say. So what does this love look like? Well, if I love my neighbor, I'm never going to tell lies that harm him, especially anything that would harm him spiritually. And as you think about all the ways that a person can be hurt, physically, through the loss of his property, through the wrecking of a person's marriage, I think it can be argued that to destroy someone's reputation is the most hurtful thing of all. Without a good reputation, you really have nothing. Proverbs 22, 1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. If you are the cause of someone unjustly losing their reputation, you have committed a terrible evil against that person. Which leads us to the conclusion that slander and gossip are in part what the Lord is condemning, telling us to not bear false witness. Slander is when untruths about someone are spread. Gossip, backbiting, whispering, 
uh, different words for the same thing, basically. Um, this is when the truth is unnecessarily spread in a way that hurts someone's reputation. It's spread for no good reason. Sometimes the, the gossip, um, the gossiping person is careful to speak the truth as a way of convincing himself that what he is doing is not sin. But many times the gossip is still, though unknowingly, spreading unfounded rumors. But even if what he says is true, when that truth concerns someone's sin or someone's folly to spread such truths for the purposes of entertainment or for the purposes of small talk, it's not loving. It's not helpful. It's not edifying. In a courtroom, it's wrong to publicize rumors, and a good judge will not allow it. Furthermore, people's sins are not to be exposed in court for purposes of entertainment or small talk. They are to be exposed for purposes of justice and reconciliation. Wrongdoings is exposed, should be exposed in order to deal with it. This is not what the slanderer or gossiper is trying to do. You must not go out of your way to expose someone's sin or folly. That is cruel. It is evil. You must seek to conceal your neighbor's sin, to preserve his reputation to the degree that you can do that for his good and God's glory. There is a time to go to the elders of the church with accusations that someone is sinning, as Matthew 18 prescribes. There are times when it is important and even necessary to talk about and expose the sins of others for their good and for the protection of the innocent. It's proper to bear witness if you are working toward confession of sin and reconciliation because then the motive is love. It's also bear witness if you have knowledge about someone that will protect others from being deceived or harmed. Remember that in the courtroom, sometimes telling the truth means exposing the defendant as guilty, which in turn means he's going to be punished, perhaps even executed, depending on the crime. And so the question is often asked, well, where's the love in that? Well, there is love in the sinner being confronted with his sin. This may lead to repentance, so that the sinner can be restored to both God and man. Of course, it's also loving to protect your neighbors from an evil person. It's never loving to let a person get away with his sin by a denial that it never even happened, which only emboldens the sinner in a sin, which ends up being destructive to himself and to those around him. So in someone, God says, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. He's saying, don't tell lies that harm your neighbor. He's saying you must use your words to bless your neighbor. You must use your words to preserve his reputation. If you bear witness to your neighbor's sin, it must be motivated by love for the neighbor, a love that seeks his reconciliation with both God and man. And you must recognize that reconciliation can only come in the way of repenting of sin, and repentance involves confession. As long as sin is denied, reconciliation is impossible But with confession comes the hope of forgiveness. So why is it that we have a tendency to bear false witness? Oh, we tend to bear false witness because we're sinners. It's a little deeper, though, than that. Lying was at the heart of our first parent's sin. They believed the twofold lie that God was withholding his goodness from them and that they could obtain that goodness for themselves apart from God. 
You can recognize that closely tied with these lies is the sin of pride. They thought that they were greater than God. It remains the case that you and I are more than willing to believe anything that portrays us as greater than we really are. Which explains why you and I bear false witness. We relish telling lies about the neighbor because if we can make him look bad, we look better in comparison. We relish telling lies that hurt the neighbor because we hate the neighbor. We tell lies out of revenge. We tell lies because we are jealous and envious of his successes. We want to see his reputation destroyed and ours increased. We tell lies because our hearts are filled with greed. And lies are often a tool to get what we want. With lying, you can make yourselves look good, manipulate others, make things happen the way you want them to happen, all to your selfish advantage. So you must recognize the great evil that's involved in bearing false witness and how prevalent, really, this sin is in our lives. There are times when it is appropriate to hide the truth from evildoers, but do not use that as a way to justify your sin. Almost never are our lies ones that promote righteousness. Analogous would be righteous anger. The Bible says there is such a thing as righteous anger, but almost never is our anger righteous. Almost always our anger is sinful. And in a similar way, our our lies are almost never motivated by love for the neighbor. They are almost always motivated by the prideful desire to conceal our own sin, to promote selfish interests. This commandment, like all others, is meant to show you your sin. It is meant to, 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 to drive you to the cross for forgiveness. And this ninth commandment is particularly tied to salvation because it's essentially essentially a command to be honest about your sin. As a defendant in God's court, you must not deny your sin, but you must confess it. Part of that sin that must be confessed is the very pride that resists such confession, that tempts you to lie and to deny your sin. But know that in the way of confessing your sin, you will be forgiven. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, it's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's yet another way that the ninth commandment is tied to salvation. Jesus, our Savior, was persistently sinned against by those who bore false witness against him. The sin, in fact, was the one that greatly accounted for his sorrow and was the immediate cause of him being crucified. His enemies knew that he was innocent, but they sought false witnesses in order to put him to death. And sought is the right word. They tried to find false witnesses that could give the appearance of a credible trial. They worked hard to find such witnesses. Finally, they found two false witnesses who distorted what Jesus said about the temple being destroyed and him rebuilding it in three days. They took what Jesus said out of context They quoted it in a way that meant something entirely different than what Jesus meant. Why did the religious leaders bring such false testimony? Because they hated him. Why? Well, Scripture says they they did it out of envy. They were jealous of the following that Jesus was receiving. They wanted Jesus destroyed so that they would regain popularity with the people. So it was that Jesus was put to death by his enemies through lies. God used man's sin to accomplish his salvation purposes. 
Jesus ultimately suffered and died not because he was a helpless victim of man's cruelty, but because he was voluntarily bearing our sins. His death on the cross was an atoning sacrifice for sin, a death that satisfied the justice of God as he bore the wrath against our sins. As we, in a few few moments, will come to the Lord's Supper, I'd have you to recall the Lord's suffering on your behalf as men bore false witness against him. Even more importantly, rejoice in the love of your Savior who suffered the loss of his reputation, who's willing to be subjected to the consequences of the lies of evil men in order to save you, in order to give you a new heart that no longer denies sin and tries to cover up sin and lies about sin, but confesses it and seeks forgiveness and righteousness in Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we stand humble before you, acknowledging that there is within us a tendency to deny our sin, to deny our wrongdoing, a tendency to want to see others, put in a place that makes us look better, so we lie, we deceive. Father, forgive us, and uh, we pray, Lord, that you would continue to work in our hearts that more and more this deception about ourselves, this this, uh, deception would be broken down and removed from us, that, Lord, we would just openly confess our sins, openly confess the ways in which we have failed to love you, to love the neighbor as we ought, And, uh, Lord, we thank you that there is forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he was willing to subject himself to the the horrors of of lies um, in order that we might be saved. Uh, So, Lord, we thank you for our Savior. We thank you that there is forgiveness uh, for violations of this commandment. We pray these things in Jesus' name.